Yes, today we're going to talk about a subject that is of great importance. We're talking about the incomparable Jesus, the incomparable Christ. And so this is a message that is dear to my heart. And by no means, it will be a study that will be concluded today. I encourage you to continue studying the incomparable Christ. Uh, before we continue, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer again, ask for his blessing. I'm going to kneel, so I ask that you will join me in prayer once again as we seek the Lord so that he may speak to us. I thank uh, Pastor Lomakang for praying, but I just feel the need to come to the Lord in prayer again. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are walking on holy ground as we consider Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to your children wherever they may be in this world. You know our trials, our difficulties, our confusions, and we pray that things will be cleared up today. And we pray, pray that those that are weak will find strength in Jesus during this hour. We ask you, Lord, to teach us. I place myself in your hands so that you may speak to your children and every word may come from your throne of grace. We plead, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we consider this world, we see that there are things that attract people's attention. You see some people attracted by the riches of this world. I've seen many people, you go to YouTube, that uh, you're trying to find something there and something appears where somebody's promoting some product, something that will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. So some seek for riches and they try to amass a, as much wealth as they, as they possibly can. They, their plan, to retire rich. But this cannot be compared with Jesus. It cannot be compared with our loving Savior. Oh, you may have a garage full of cars. And I've seen some videos of some celebrities. They have a garage full of different cars, even old cars, new cars, cars that are worth uh, collector's items that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is amazing. But all these cannot be compared with Jesus. So you may try to get the biggest house, the, the biggest mansion. And uh, my wife and I had the opportunity. We were invited to this home that, I don't know, perhaps this was the, the most expensive home we had been to. The lady of the house was interested in helping to establish a school. So the pastor took us to this home. And uh, they told us something about $25 million worth of uh, investment in the property and the home. And I was amazed. I said, well, where are the $25 million? It was a very impressive home, but I just could not see $25 million there. Still, however, this was the house that was on top of all the other houses. There were other homes, very expensive homes in the nearby vicinity there in Baja, California. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. You could, from this house, look over the ocean and see the beauty of God's creation but all this will come to nothing. An earthquake could take it down. It cannot be compared to Jesus. Gadgets, 
the latest, the latest games or whatever is out there that attracts people's attention. And some people line up for hours, even the day before, waiting for that, uh, that phone or that game to be released. And they want to be first to try it out. But you see, as much enjoyment, as much fun as, as this, these things can bring you, they cannot be compared with Jesus. Let's take a look at Jesus. But before we do this, let's take a look at why Jesus be, has become so valuable to the human race. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And the Bible says, very simply, very short, a message for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No explanation is given as to who God is. He he. he comes upon the scene, and we are told that he created the heavens and the earth. So our origin is not from those uh, things in the cesspool. We're not from the monkeys. We were created by the almighty God. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says, Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so ends the narrative in Genesis chapter 1, telling us that everything that God made was very good. Very good. Everything that he had made. Both visible and invisible, everything God made was very good. So I praise the Lord. That even human beings were made very good, surpassing your understanding. Because the Bible reveals to us something amazing, something incredible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. Notice this incredible thing. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Praise the Lord. This is incredible. And you consider that God could have said, well, I think I will make man like the monkeys. No, no, no. God said, that's not good enough. I think I'll make man in the image of the giraffes. No, no, no. That is not good enough. Man has to be special. Wait, I think I will make men like the elephants. That would be a, a great idea. No, no, no. That is not good enough. You and I were created in the image of the creator, in the image of God. And not only created in the image of God, but God made something special in the sense that Gave us dominion. He didn't give dominion to the monkeys, dominion to the apes, to the gorillas, to the, to the elephants, to the hippopotamus. He gave dominion to man. Praise the Lord. And notice in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. We have the blessing of God from the very beginning of creation. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Man was given the privilege of having dominion over everything of the earth under the supervision and under God. You see, because God owns everything. The whole earth belongs to him. Man was a participant. God gave him permission to have dominion over everything in the earth. What a wonderful privilege belongs to human beings. Now, God in Genesis chapter 2 reveals a plan for Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Oh, if you stop there, you can say, wow, Adam and Eve could look around and say, this is incredible. We can eat of every tree of the garden. This is incredible. But God only made one small, minute provision, uh, prohibition. One, only one tree they were told they could not eat. And that is in verse 17. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. So let's look at the opposite of that. What happens if they don't eat of the tree? They will not die. If they eat, they will die. If they don't eat of the tree, they will live forever. So it was in their choice. God gave us the freedom of choice. It was the choice of Adam and Eve, Eve to live forever in the presence of God, enjoying all the things that God created, enjoying fellowship with God, enjoying singing with the birds, trying to imitate the singing of the birds, and trying to understand how the things work that God created. What a privilege was theirs. And so eternal life, or eternal death was before them. He set before them life and death. It was a choice. They were not obligated to sin. They were not obligated to live forever. Now I want to read to you from a book, Education, written by Ellen G. White, page 15. This is just amazing. L listen to this. When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature, a likeness to his creator. God created man in his own image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the creator. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. Vast was the scope offered for their exercise. Glorious the field open to their research. The mysteries of the visible universe, the wondrous works of Him, which is perfect in knowledge. Job chapter 37 verse 16. All this invited man's study. And now notice, face to face, Heart-to-heart -heart communion with his maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions 
of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation. More and more fully have reflected the creator's glory. Wow! What a high privilege and honor belonged to Adam and Eve. The longer they lived, the more fully revealed the image of the Creator. Their knowledge was, was to increase as the time continued. Their vigor and their joy would increase. They would discover new springs of happiness is revealed in this book. And so all this was theirs. They could live forever. But isn't it something that they gave all of this up, all of this up, despite the warning God gave them, deceived by the serpent, desiring something more than God gave them. And of course, uh, Satan offered them something more. He claimed, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. So they aspired, they desired something more than God gave them. And Satan painted the idea of sinning as coming up to a higher sphere. Unfortunately, this was not the case. You see, when someone wants to deceive, he always has something behind his back. He will paint the world for you. So many a men, so many a women have been painted incredible panoramas. I will make you the happiest woman in the world. I will make you the richest man in the world. All you have to do is follow me. And untold millions of people, Satan has painted a panorama of happiness that on the other side of the canvas is a trap to bring them to death, a trap to uh, trap them in a life of misery and sorrow. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve gave all of the joys that God had promised them and sinned. But you know, the Bible has such tremendous good news. And we are not wise enough to understand Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I, God talking to the serpent, and I, praise the Lord for that, God talking, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Bad news for the serpent. Bad news for the devil. And between your seed and her seed, he, that is Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Praise the Lord. Good news. In there, God revealed that he had a plan to destroy the devil. For the first time, the devil's hearing this. And I don't know about you, but I believe that chills went up and down his spine, realizing that, what? Wait a minute. This thing that I have is going to end? Yes, God was going to send his son to do the work that no one else could do. Now notice, remember that God told Adam and Eve, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. So after God talked to the serpent, Adam and Eve are listening, and they say, wait, 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 there seems to be good news here. Did he just say, the seed of the woman? Adam could look at Eve and say, through you 
will come the solution to our situation. God is making a promise here that through you, a son will come, the Savior of the world, that will crush this enemy's head for us. So to them, it was good news of great joy. Now, Adam and Eve had to face some, notice I said some of the consequences of their rebellion, of their sin. So verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read to verse 19, bad news, uh, mixed with good news for Adam and Eve. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. But before you say, oh, no, that's terrible, wait a minute. God could have carried out the sentence he promised immediately. You ate of the tree I told you not to eat. I told you what would happen is death. Now experience the result of your transgression. No, Adam, Eve and Adam are hearing, wait a minute, what? Opportunity is coming? You will be able to conceive? Your life will continue? And you will be able to conceive seed? So it's good news. They were going to be able to continue living. Probation, opportunity was being given to them. Notice verse 17. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That was part of their punishment. But wait a minute. I believe Adam and Eve, when they heard those things, they knew they deserved much worse. And God is offering mercy to them. These are the things you're going to experience. You're going to suffer. But they were going to continue living. So they heard good news. And to them, what God was saying to them, I would say that they bowed before God and say, Thank you, Lord. You are extremely more merciful than we ever, ever understood. Truly, your love is greater than we can comprehend. Because he was giving them an opportunity. So they were put on probation. You and I are on probation, brothers and sisters, friends. We're on probation. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep eating of the forbidden tree of evil that Satan presents before you? How has been the course of your life? Looking back in history, looking at a minute ago, an hour ago, what was your course? Were you eating of the tree of evil? Were you eating of the bitter fruits of the evil things that Satan is presenting to you? Or are you moving in the direction of eternal life through Jesus Christ? So I urge you to consider Jesus, the incomparable Christ, because he has for us the path of life, the path of salvation, the path of happiness. And he has died to make sure that you can be rescued from the grasp, the hold of the devil, and receive life and peace 
and happiness forever. To that I say, amen, and praise the Lord. Now, Adam and Eve were hearing this for the first time. It was revealed for the first time, but this was hidden in the mind of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit already had come to an agreement that Jesus will take the role of a son and die for the human race. Notice Revelation 13, verse 8. And we're going to focus on the last part. We will read the first part as well. And it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, uh, that is the devil, uh, the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life, notice, of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So since the foundation of the world, when the, the foundation of the world was laid, it was already as if Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain. So God, knowing this ahead of time, looking into the future, saw Adam and Eve falling into temptation, and a plan was formulated by the Almighty God to save the human race at an infinite cost. Don't think of it as something light. Salvation is free to you, but it costs an infinite price. No value can you come up with that will help you understand the high cost. We count value as far as dollars. We count values as far as euros and uh, maybe now in, the, in this age, uh, digital coins, gold. But the price that was paid for our salvation is incomparable, incalculable. And that, my friends, should be worth your time of study and consideration. Now, the Bible reveals in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So each and every one of us living upon this earth needs Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And He is an incomparable Christ, the incomparable Jesus, and he is offering every one of us the opportunity to be rescued from this sin-ridden earth, this, the dark, and he's offering you salvation. It doesn't matter how much evil you have done, Christ has paid the price. Praise the Lord. Now notice this. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, a scripture is revealed that should Totally shock us. Notice, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, just like he promised, born under the law. For what? What purpose? To redeem those who were under the law. That is the penalty of the law. That we might receive the adoptions as sons. Praise the Lord. Hold on a minute. Don't go too quickly over this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Stop a moment and think about that. You know, we promise things to people. I'm sure you have done it. Oh, you know, I'm going to do such and such a thing. Oh, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. And perhaps you have done that. That 
the time comes for you to fulfill your promise, and you are involved in it, and you suddenly realize this is bigger than I thought. If only I had not made that promise. And I believe there may be some people hearing me right now that have probably made a promise, and they're in the midst of doing this thing, and they say, you know what? This is bigger than I thought. This costs much more than I thought. Uh, let's, I, I, I'm changing, the, I'm changing this, my mind. Let's just forget about it. Uh, you go your way, you do your thing, and I'm doing my thing. You see, you see, God made the promise, and he was willing to pay the price. You see, as much wickedness as there has been in the world when the fullness of time had come for Jesus to arrive upon this world, you see, Satan worked very hard, very hard to, to, to put so much sin in the world that the price to be paid would seem so high, so great, so heavy, that upon looking at the scene of humanity, God would say, wait a minute, I've changed my mind. This is much worse than I thought. There's no way we're going to do this. This is going to be too painful, too high of a price. Let's change this whole thing. I have changed my mind. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. And to that I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't know if you have ever been mistreated by someone and you put up, for it, well, put up with it for a while, and then you say, okay, now just a minute, that is enough. That is enough. And you, you rebel, you, 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 you get even, or you, you retaliate in some way. You say, that's enough. Okay, I have put up with this long enough. But you know, God is so merciful. It's incredible. Every one of us, every single one of us, should be amazed at the mercy of God. Because it is great mercy. And Jesus came, it says here, so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters. What a message this is for us to consider. So the incomparable Christ today stands before the world without parallel. There's no one that can offer you anything better than what Christ is offering you. Absolutely no one. Oh, you may be offered the, great, the greatest job in your mind. Oh, yes, you're going to be over this, this whole country doing this and this and that activity. You're going, to be, you're going to be number one. You're going to be the chief operating officer, the CEO, the president, the chairman, whatever the, may, the case may be. Whatever they offer you cannot be compared with what God is offering you. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get a little picture of Jesus. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. So God is speaking through his son, the incomparable Christ. He is speaking to you. He is speaking to me. Consider Jesus and what he has done for you. You see, this Jesus came willingly, underline willingly. You see, it was not an obligation. You got to go do this. It was not, oh, do I really have? No, you got to go do this. You, you, we have no choice. You got to go do it. No, for God so loved the world 
For Christ so loved the world. For the Holy Spirit so loved the world that Christ came to this world to die for us. And I say the incomparable Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Notice. And 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Wherever that beginning was, you can go back eons and eons and eons and thousands and I don't know if millions of years. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So we're talking about in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise the Lord. And I want you to consider for a moment. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, it's one thing that this Jesus, who deserves honor and praise and glory, will come to visit you. But what if Jesus came to your door and said, I would like to live in your home. Is that okay with you? <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it, when it says he dwelt among us, it means he spent time here living among us like us, facing trial and tribulation and problems and sweating and cold and mosquitoes and whatever sufferings you suffer, he suffered also. Not only did he suffer that, the, the common things of life, but you and I are tempted by the devil. And I say to you that Satan knew, hey, wait a minute. This is the seed that's going to crush my head. And he said, okay, you demons, you step out of the way. He is mine. I will take care of this one. He made the life of Christ as difficult as it could possibly be. The temptations that Christ suffered cannot be compared with anything at all that you have suffered. I could say if, if 100 is the highest number, Jesus Christ was tempted 100 more times powerful than you and I have ever been. Why? Why? Because the devil knew if he falls one time, if I only cause him to sin one time, ha, ha, ha. I will be victorious, and this human race will be mine. And nobody can take this human race from me, nor this earth. It belongs to God, but it will then belong to me. If I overcome this Adam, because Jesus is considered the second Adam, I will win forever. And not only that, the whole universe that will know that God is a liar. You see, but Satan is the liar, and he wants to put that on, 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 on God himself. So Jesus Christ suffered much more than any human being could ever, ever suffer. That's why the Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now I would like to read to you from Desire of Ages, page 48, so that we can consider this, this uh, incredible, incomparable humiliation for Christ. 
Because as God, he deserved the praise and honor of all the angels, not only of all the angels, but of all the universe, all the worlds. We read in Hebrews chapter 1, by whom also he made the worlds, all the beings of all the universe, he deserved praise and honor from them. Now notice in Desire of Ages, page 48, it would have been an almost infinite humiliation for the Son of God to take man's nature even when Adam stood in his innocence in Eden. Stop a moment there. Wait a minute. What are you saying? That for Jesus Christ to take human nature when Adam had never sinned, when he was as innocent as a baby, if you want to say, never committed one lie, one sin, Adam had not done anything wrong, it would have been an infinite humiliation for Christ to take on human nature at that point. But then this uh, paragraph continues. It says, but Jesus accepted humanity when the race had been weakened by 4,000 years of sin. Like every child of Adam, he accepted the results of the working of the great law of heredity. What these results were is shown in the history of his earthly ancestors. He came with such a heredity to share our sorrows and temptations and to give us the example of a sinless life. The life of Christ is an example of what God is willing to do with us. He is willing to deliver us from a life of sin. And God is all-powerful. We have to understand that God is all-powerful. And He can do what He promises. He can deliver us from sin, the power of sin, and the desire to sin. God is all-powerful. We need to cooperate with Him so that this can happen in our lives. Because with Jesus... All things are possible. You see, he is, Jesus is the incomparable Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says there, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who did he die for? For us. Yes, he died for Bob and Mary, or your friends, your neighbors, but he died for us, including yourself. Consider the incomparable love of God for you. So, when you consider Jesus, we have to understand that it was an infinite sacrifice, an infinite price was, price was paid. No one in this world that has ever lived in this world could do what Jesus has done and could offer what Jesus is offering to us right now. So let's take a quick look at Isaiah 53. And we have to say a quick look because it deserves more time than we have, but it's a quick look. But we need to get a glimpse of this wonderful Savior. Isaiah 53 verse 1 begins with a question, two questions actually. Who has believed that report? And to whom has the arm 
of the Lord been revealed. It begins this way because when you consider who we're talking about, it's, it's like, can this really be? Is this, is this true that the Son of God, who was worshipped by angels and all the created beings in all the universe, became a man? I don't know what you consider the lowest creature in the world. Some people may think, oh, well, I'm an ant. <laughs> an ant, you know. Uh, that's the comparison we could make. Jesus way up here, and we're way down here, and he became like one of us. And perhaps one of the things you might remember, oh, it's like a worm. Oh, a worm is such a step on it. But you see, who has believed the report? Wait a minute. This Jesus, the creator of the world, became a man? And not only did he become a man, but he took the sins of these filthy people, these filthy sinners? He did that? Yes. Who can believe this report? But yes, he did. He did this because of God demonstrates his love toward us. In the King James Version, this I read from the New King James Version, it says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's look at a few verses from Isaiah 53. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Wait a minute, this is the majesty of heaven. And it says he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Not only that, he is despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did esteem him not. Basically, no one came to help him. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You see, this part when he says smitten by God, that means that the Father himself had to give Jesus, the Son, the punishment that you and I deserve. You see, because Jesus, Jesus suffered the death that belonged to us. He suffered the pain that we're supposed to suffer. He suffered the, 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 the penalty for sin that sinners will face at the end of time. You see, when you sin, you have been at one point or another had a glimpse of the guilt that it is to sin against a holy God. You have had a glimpse, and I, I'm talking, I'm sure, to people that perhaps have shed tears because of the evil they have done. But all of this guilt cannot be compared with the total guilt that Jesus experienced on the cross. You see, Jesus experienced the separation of the Father's presence that the wicked people will experience at the end of time when God withdraws his presence. And the wicked will feel the weight of their sins upon them. That is such a crushing weight. Jesus felt, suffered all of that. But it says here, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment 
for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. I finish this part with verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So if one person, if, if, if the life of sin that you have lived is crushing to you, imagine Jesus taking the life of wickedness of every single human being that has ever existed from Adam to the end of time, crushing weight upon Jesus, the incomparable Christ. And I say to you, behold what manner of love has been shown for you. Question, did Satan want Jesus to be crucified? How do we answer this question? Did Satan want Jesus to be crucified? Please remember that Satan knew that if Jesus dies for the sins of humanity, my fate is, is, is sealed. He knew that if Jesus dies for the whole world, then I will have to die. So did Satan really want Jesus to die for the world? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan was trying to crush Jesus and put such pressure upon him so that he will turn away and walk away from saving the human race. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was such a pressure of temptation upon Jesus to walk away. Walk away from this. You don't have to do this. Walk away. Don't die for these people, these wicked people. Look how wicked they have been. Four, about 4,000 years of sin already. Imagine if they continue how horrible this place is going to be. Walk away. You don't have to do this. And you see, he saw there that Jesus was willing. So when he saw that Jesus was willing, he said, I am going to make him suffer like no one else has suffered. You want to die for these people? You're going to get it. So he worked upon the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priest to make the, the experience as horrible as possible. But he knew that while Jesus was being whipped by the Roman soldiers, Jesus could walk away. He says, okay, that's enough. That's enough. And Jesus, with the word, could just wipe out all the Roman soldiers. So he said, whip them hard. Whip them as hard as you can. Give, them, give it all your might. Make sure you, 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 you bury deep those bones into his back. Yes, he made it as hard as possible. Jesus was collapsing with the suffering he was taking physically. But then there was the weight of the sins of the world upon him that no one could ever explain. And yes, when he was nailed to the cross, oh, he knew if I get this Christ to, to step down from that cross, I will, be the win I will be the winner. I will be victorious. So listen to what he put in people's mouths that was, that was crushing. It was like, like slaps in the face of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. 
if you are the Son of God and what? What, what, did he, what did he say? Come down from the cross. Wait a minute. Did Satan want Jesus to die? No. He is telling through people, come down from that cross. If you really are who, come down from that cross. Trying to put in his mind, come down from the cross. Question. White elephant? Have you thought of a white elephant? If I say to you, a pretty cat, you probably imagine a pretty cat, don't you? You see, people are saying, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. What did the devil just do? Put a thought in his mind so that Jesus could think about it, evaluate it. Hey, if I come down from the cross, all this suffering will end. All this weight of the sins will go away. He's putting those thoughts. He's saying, he's, he's getting people to say those things so that Jesus could consider it. And if he comes down from the cross, victory for the devil. But you see, there's a song that I, I was impressed by it. Somebody came to 3 and sang it many years ago. And the person sang, I think his name is um, Billy Blackwood. Love held Jesus to the cross. Wow. So when Jesus hears these things, he has to reject and say, no, I'm going to stay up here because I love them. Look at verse 31. Likewise, the chief priest. Who? The chief priest? Wait a minute. Aren't these supposed to be representatives of Jesus? But likewise, the chief priest also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now what? Come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Wow. Wait a minute. Again, the devil brings that out. Hey, the people are going to believe in you if you come down. They're going to believe you are the son of God. Just come down from the cross. And what happens if Jesus does that? The devil wins. So while Jesus remains on the cross, the devil is trying to inflict as much punishment as possible so that the pain and the suffering and the words he is hearing, he will consider. He will evaluate and come down from the cross. And moment by moment, every moment that Jesus chose to stay on that cross, the closer and closer was the victory and the closer and closer was the uh, assurance, the, the securing of our salvation. And so he stayed there. Moment by moment, second by second. And I, uh, I just admire this incomparable Christ. Notice again, verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers, verse 44, who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. And so as Jesus looks all over, what could he see? Any face showing compassion? Anyone out there that has some consideration for what I'm going through? Ah, and there was his mother. There was his mother. He could take joy in his mother, but his mother was crying, weeping. The sorrow that she was expressing brought sorrow to Jesus. He saw his disciple John next to her, speaks to him, some words of encouragement. 
Mother, this is thy son. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die here. Don't count on me anymore being there for you physically. But this is now your son. I am entrusting him to take care of you. What a, what a loving son that looking out for his mother in the last dying moments, he is telling her, don't worry, mom. John here, I trust him to take care of you. Praise God, the incomparable Christ. Thinking of others instead of himself. And then, Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46, paints a picture that is worth our consideration. Notice, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. Think about that for a moment. That's your homework. Think about that for a moment. Think about the incomparable Christ that experienced the separation that the wicked, evil people will experience at the end of time. And Jesus could not feel the presence of the Father, but the Father was there. But his eyes could not see him. He could not feel the presence of the Father. Because the sacrifice of Christ had to be a complete sacrifice. There was one moment of consolation, and you know it. Imagine Jesus with the crushing weight of the world, that he finally hears something besides the blasphemous things he was hearing and the suggestions of the devil, come down from the cross. Why continue this suffering? Come down from that cross. Suddenly Jesus hears, if you are the Son of God, he says, the, the thief, other thief says, remember me. <laughs> Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. What a marvelous thing for Jesus to hear. It's like saying, I see that you're dying there like me, but I know that's not the end for you. You're going to be in your kingdom. Remember me. In other words, I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me. Remember me also. He stopped this reviling. At one point in time, that, that thief, one of those thieves, we don't, they're not given names, decides, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is wrong. What, what is going on here? Listen to these priests. Listen to what they're saying. And listen to, this, this is not right. This, this, is, this is God's son. And he gives his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to him, you know it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you will be with me in paradise. Praise God. Oh, if you could hear those words tonight, what kind of joy would that bring to your heart? That Jesus would say, you are going to be with me in paradise. The incomparable Christ.
wants you to be in paradise with him. I have to end because time is flying by. I'm going to jump now to First <clears throat> um, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 18, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.18. I need to read 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This lamb without blemish and without spot is Jesus, the incomparable Christ. His blood is able to cleanse us from all sin. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I want to say to you something. Consider the moment when the wicked are before the Lord. And the Lord reveals to them what they are going to miss. Because they chose evil instead of righteousness they chose they did not choose salvation they chose the things of this world and for those that have not seen it if god would would show them the sufferings of christ they would be humbled to understand truly god has been merciful and i rejected this mercy i deserve what i'm getting but you know it says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about um, Noah, Abraham, David, and the others. You see, and even Adam. You see, these people lived before Christ was crucified on the cross. And they have no idea what Jesus did for them on the cross. They didn't see it. They died in faith, not having received the opportunity to see that. We get to read about it. We read about the sufferings of Christ. We read about his experience of, in Gethsemane. We can read Isaiah 53 and start to get a picture of what Jesus went through. We can read Matthew chapter 27, 26, 27. We can read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And we can imagine some of these things. But what if God has reserved a video or a recording in some way that God can do and say to Adam, Adam, come. Moses, come, come. Daniel, come. Uh, David, come. You're going to see what your Savior did for you take a look and they sit there and watch jesus suffering what do you think will happen to them as they realize wow i had no idea and jesus could say to them those sacrifices those lambs they were a symbol of this that i did for you look take a look they will be crushed they will fall on their knees and say worthy it's the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and mercy and praise forever.
we will sing a song to Jesus with such gratitude that we do not understand right now. Because Jesus, the incomparable Christ, has done this for us. And wait a minute, just a moment. Before you think about them, think about yourself. What if you were able to see the video of Christ doing all this for you, and you saw every moment that is not even described in the Bible of his sufferings, you too will join with Adam and Daniel and, and Abraham and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory. Truly, God has had mercy upon me. I end with Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. I say to you that verse 6 brings a message that we need to consider. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That means completely. You have abundant amount of sins, abundantly you will be pardoned. Praise the Lord. Today you and I have the opportunity to do this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This implies that the time will come when he will not be able to be found. Don't wait till then. It will be forever too late. This is the time to dedicate your life completely to Jesus. And if you're listening to this message right now, it's because God wants you to consider Jesus. Consider the incomparable Christ and the offer he has given to you to allow Jesus to change your life forever and to be a part of God's family forever, to enjoy eternal life without pain or suffering or sickness nor death. I would like to pray with you at this moment, and I encourage you to give all to Jesus. Let us pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we want to pause to thank you. Thank you for something we do not fully understand, the sacrifice of Christ. Help us to consider the incomparable Christ, more every day to take time to consider your goodness and your mercy. And in this moment, Lord, while we are praying together, there are many, there are some that are praying for forgiveness of their sins as they realize, at least in some small way, the price that was paid for their salvation. We pray that your promise will be fulfilled in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that it will be so, and we pray that the precious blood of Jesus will cleanse us completely. And we ask you for these blessings in the holy and blessed name of Jesus. Amen and amen.